Good morning. Very good to see you. Sorry to be late. Uh, I was loitering at the back, waiting for the two-minute break when I would get ready. <laughs> so 2023 is well underway. Throughout this whole year, we're going to be speaking about the kingdom of God. That's our theme right through. You see, God, who is king, reigns everywhere, over everything and everyone. And yet until, here's the dilemma, and yet until Jesus returns and fully and finally defeats Satan and all his enemies, we do not see everything everywhere or everyone submitted to him yet. So what we primarily mean when we're talking about the kingdom of God is the sphere where his rule is gladly accepted, which I think largely is, includes this place. It sounds this morning like we gladly accept the rule and the reign of God. And his rule, God's rule, is gladly accepted only where the one that God sent to bring his kingdom to us is gladly accepted. Anyone know his name? Some of us are sure it's Jesus. Here's a crucial thing about God's kingdom. The sphere where his rule is gladly accepted. It is both extremely narrow and extremely wide. The route into God's kingdom is extremely narrow and extremely wide. It's extremely narrow because it is through one person only, Jesus Christ. Forget every other religion, forget every other religious leader, forget every good deed you've ever done. The only way into the kingdom of God is very narrow. It's one person, it's Jesus. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And yet, it's extremely broad as well, because John 3.16 tells us whoever believes in him. Anyone who comes to Jesus will find his acceptance, will find that their trust and their faith in him will see their sins forgiven and them enjoying the kingdom of God. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus, which seems like a good idea to me. We're going to look at Jesus explicitly. We're going to look at the one through whom we experience the blessings of God's kingdom. It's through him we come. And we're going to do so from the perspective of different points in time. Today from way back in history in the Old Testament. And then three weeks from the life of Jesus himself, and then one week from the life of the New Testament, today's church times, and then finally the future kingdom when Jesus returns. And in all of that, we're going to be asking, what does life look like in the sphere where God's rule is gladly accepted? What does it look like? What does God intend life to be like under his glorious reign? And from the distant history of Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah chapter 61, along with many other prophecies, describes what life looks like when God reigns. What does it look like? Isaiah 61 is going to help us. This is life under the coming king. From way back in Old Testament times, the king is coming. Now, of course, he's come. This is what life looks like. Now, to understand the context of Isaiah 61, because whenever you look at 
something in the Bible, you need to know how does it fit in the whole story. Well, we have to go back to the 7th and 8th centuries BC. And Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet, is speaking to God's people on a regular basis over the course of a number of decades. And his message is a familiar one. Any of you who know the Old Testament prophets will know they had a sadly consistent message. And Isaiah's message could be summed up in some of these phrases from his first chapter. God is saying this through Isaiah to the people, stop bringing meaningless offerings. He says, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. I hate them with all my being. Imagine God saying that to a people like us. He even says, even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. God is far from this people because they have strayed far from him. Injustice is rife in the land. The leaders are utterly irresponsible and God is very, very far from their minds. And those denouncements are therefore accompanied by promises from God that judgment is coming if they don't reform their ways. And guess what? They don't. Of course. So judgment is exactly what God sends. First through the Assyrians and latterly through the Babylonians. He takes many of them off into exile and the rest get destroyed. The city is ransacked. The temple is torn down. It's utter chaos. And yet, as with so many of the Old Testament prophets, there is hope in Isaiah's messages. Hope for God's people because his covenant means that he will never finally give up on his people. However awful they are, he has made promises and God does not break his promises. And so the covenant that he's made, they break, but he doesn't break. And it's he who set it up in the first place. And so despite their ridiculous, godless behavior, he will not give up on them. Some of you may have heard these verses before. So God says to them, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Listen. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your skins, sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God will not give up on his people. And finally, we'll find a way, of course, which he planned from the beginning to rescue disobedient, evil, sinning people. And in particular, in the second half of Isaiah's prophecies, there's this growing picture of a king, of a servant, of a Messiah who God will send, who will be God himself to come and finally defeat God's enemies and bring God's kingdom and the blessings of his reign to his people. This is what life is going to be like under the coming king. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind. We've heard a bit of this this morning, hey? But let me tell you this, just be careful. The middle class are as lost. The upper class are as lost. The respectable are utterly fallen and broken too. Be careful you don't exclude yourselves and your middle classness out of this. 
many of us. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. What a privilege. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Isn't that amazing seeing those pictures, the transformation. Clothed in disgrace and shame, clothed in garments of salvation. Magnificent. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. There's a load of things we could say, but a couple of things about life under this coming king. Firstly, the blessings of God's kingdom, of his reign, are found, verse 1, in the anointed one. Now, chapter 60 has told of the blessings that God's people will experience. This chapter does the same, but this chapter crucially introduces for us the one through whom those blessings will come. And that person, verse 1, is the anointed one, the one on whom the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord rests. But who is that? This was given in the 7th, 8th century BC, for centuries, God's people are waiting, hoping, longing, desperate for this deliverer, for this servant, Messiah, King to come. Who will he be? And then, <laughs> one day, perhaps in about AD 27, a carpenter, who recently started out on a teaching ministry, is invited at the local synagogue in his hometown, in fact, to bring the reading and the instruction on that particular Sabbath. And this is what he says, what Luke records. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, you might recognize this from what we read a moment ago. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then Luke tells us that on that dramatic Sabbath morning, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. They stood up to read and sat down to speak. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began, this wasn't the whole sermon, but he began by saying to them, you have no idea how dramatic these words are. Let me just tell you, they're very dramatic. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It is utterly astonishing. It is outrageous that he should say such a thing. It's astonishing because he says today, this scripture, this promise of this Messiah, servant, king, who would come and deliver the people today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. No longer just one day in the future, but this very day here in little old Nazareth, a local carpenter comes and says, this is happening now. Imagine Dave Brown, who many of you know, a local carpenter stroke builder, gives that up, sets out on a teaching ministry and arrives one day and we think, well, come and see what you've got to say, Dave. And he stands up and says, today, the Messiah, King, the Lord, the servant has arrived. We throw him out pretty quick. It's astonishing because of the enormity of what Isaiah 61 promises. Freedom for God's people who've been bound and subject to their enemies for so long. Comfort for those so long brokenhearted and oppressed. Good news of joy and restoration. And it's astonishing because Jesus is unequivocally saying all of that, all that Isaiah 61 spoke about, all that the promises and prophecies of Isaiah have in store for us, all of that, it's me. You've waited centuries for me. I am not only, I not only have a message of good news, I am the good news. The hopes of Isaiah 61, of God's glorious kingdom and his magnificent reign, rest on my shoulders. And Isaiah 61 has always been seen exactly like that. That Jesus, as Luke 4 tells us, comes and owns that scripture for himself and unashamedly declares, everything you hoped for in God's kingdom will be found in me, exclusively. Only in Jesus will you find the life and blessings that are the essence of enjoying the kingdom of God. He's, he's the pebble in the pond from which the ripples, all the ripples of God's blessings flow to us. He's the prism through which all the colours of God's blessings reach out to us. He's the sun from whom all the life and power of God's blessings radiate out to us. All of which to say, all of which to say, we are Jesus people. We are unashamedly Jesus people. We are not moral people. We're not merely ethical people. We're not religious people, we are Jesus people. 
because that's how Jesus understood it. And if you want to know what it's like to live under the blessing of God, if you want to even know God himself, you have to come through this narrow yet very broad way because Jesus declares that the whole movement that will come from him is a Jesus movement. Folks, we are a Jesus people. And if you want to know God and his blessings, you have to come through Jesus. So just in case there should be a Christian in the building who is looking elsewhere, I simply want to remind you, stop it. You will not find God's blessings anywhere else but Jesus. And some of you probably just need even that. It sounds like a ridiculously simple message because you say, I know that. Yeah, but some of you are missing it. And you're searching here and you're searching there and you're wondering why I am not feel like I'm living under the blessing of God. Let me just encourage you to get back to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you, we have one message. In fact, we've only got one word. The Christian faith has really one word. Well, grace is a great word in the Christian faith, but we really have one word and our one word is one name and our name is Jesus. We haven't got any morals for you. We haven't got any ethics for you. We haven't got any good tips for living for you. We have Jesus, through whom all the blessings that God extends on earth and in heaven flow through. You have to come through the narrow gate, though it's so broad that anyone can get in. Folks, We're Jesus people. Remember that. Secondly, the blessings of his reign are so wide-ranging. Now, here's a confession. My, My appreciation of so many things is so very limited. I'm not particularly thick. I don't... Please don't comment just there. I don't think I'm particularly thick. It's just I'm aware my level of appreciation is very limited. I'm, I struggle to appreciate what's going on in the physical universe. I don't know. Maybe there's a scientist here who knows it all. But I, for example, I've been in a relationship with gravity for 56 years. And I still haven't got a clue what it is. How does it work? How does this great big earth that we're living on cause my body to be attracted to it such that it stays. I mean, do you understand that? I can't really appreciate it. I'm struggled to appreciate other people's experiences. If I haven't been there, it's hard to appreciate. I don't really get the concept of time. Time's, an ex- time's a weird thing. What does beauty mean? I have a lack of appreciation of myself. I don't really understand myself. Never mind trying to appreciate and understand God, here's another thing. I think where we sometimes have a very limited scope of appreciation. What it means to be saved. What it means to be born again. What the biblical word salvation means. I think we often, and this is obviously in large part right, I think we often think of salvation in terms of what we've been saved from out of, out of sin, out of judgment, out of the prospect of hell. 
I think it's why the idea of forgiveness is a relatively easy one to grasp. But we should not only think in terms of what we've been saved out of or from, but also what we've been saved into. And rejoice in that and understand and live in the good of that. Paul writes in one of his letters in the New Testament, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You get both parts, out of and into. Both are glorious. And Isaiah 61 speaks of those two things comprehensively. It contains 12 things we've been saved or brought out of and 25 things that God has brought us into. For example, in verses, just in verses 1 to 4, from hearts that are broken to hearts that are healed, from captivity into freedom, from mourning to being comforted, from disgrace before God to being a display of his splendor, from destruction and ruin to restoration and renewal. The blessings of God are so wide-ranging. And there are so many other parts of Scripture that we could add a thousand other things to as well. All of which Jesus, the Anointed One, has won for us. Much of which is expressed with five insteads that are in verses 3 and 7. They go like this. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. I'm going to go back to some of those at the end because they are true of you. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, that are some of the blessings of God's kingdom that he has won for you. Now, here's a conundrum. All that sounds fine if life is going along nicely. See, Andrew and Grace might readily agree, just come back from their honeymoon. Nisa, who's just got her old job back with a pay rise, might agree. Yeah, the Lord is blessing me. I can identify with this. Michael and Ursula might agree as they enjoy buying their first house. But what about, what about the widow whose husband we buried the same week we married Andrew and Grace? What about those I've spoken with recently who've had huge health concerns, those facing big family or financial or faith issues? Those enduring severe mental health challenges. Those who just basically feel really disappointed with the state of their life. Well, what about the persecuted believers that I read a little bit about and pray about every morning? In what way are the blessings of God relevant to them? In what way... Are those insteads true of them? If Jesus has won all of this, how can that apply to those who seem to be struggling? And that's where the nature of these wide-ranging blessings in Isaiah 61 have to be rightly understood. 
Because the real miracle of God's reign is often seen in the life, the peace, and joy that someone experiences against all odds, not only in times of ease and pleasure. It's a basic error of expectation about the coming of God's kingdom that the disciples made. Jesus has been teaching them. He's been raised from the dead. He's been teaching them for 40 days. And they say to him this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom kingdom to Israel? Jesus, you've just been raised from the dead. We understand what you did in dying now. You're going to send the Holy Spirit. I assume that now our fortunes are going to turn for good. I assume that now, rather than being oppressed by the Romans, Israel, God's people, are going to rise up to be the head and not the tail, as sometimes people say. I assume, Jesus, that the coming of God's kingdom is going to mean it's nice and simple and easy and we rise like cream to the top now. Well, they made an error of expectation because the book of Acts shows us that God's kingdom grows far less physically and much more invisibly as hearts and minds enjoy, express, and extend God's reign in the middle of mess, not always out of it, in the sin and suffering and persecution they encounter. See, their expectation was, Jesus, if you're the the agent of the kingdom coming, if it's all coming through you, if God's reign on earth is really coming now, then everybody's going to bow to you and all enemies are immediately going to be dismissed. And yet they walk into suffering. They find the world doesn't love them, the world persecutes them. They find that the mess continues as usual. Here's the thing, the reign and the rule of God in the hearts and minds of individual men and women changes their lives and changes them in the middle of the mess because the coming of the kingdom finally is still a future thing. Now, lest you think I overstate this, David in the Old Testament is absolutely right when he says, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Any day, even on a bad day, I have so much that I don't deserve. You have so much you don't deserve. We have an ability to focus on the negative I have so much I don't deserve. Every single day, even a bad day, I am outrageously blessed as a child of God. But the crucial factor in the blessings brought to us by King Jesus, the blessing of being under the reign of God, is that though many of those blessings are experienced in through this world, they transcend our experience of this world and therefore are not limited to our experience of this world. So Paul writes this, God has blessed us, where? In the heavenly realms, interesting, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you have every physical blessing? It's not a trick question, but the answer is no. 
I don't have every physical blessing. I am so blessed in so many ways physically. Guess what I have got though? Every spiritual blessing. I'm lacking nothing because Jesus has won everything that Isaiah 61 and every other passage of Scripture promises is an effect of God's kingdom coming. Folks, if you're a Christian this morning, you may not have every physical blessing. You may not have the house you want or the body you want or the health you want or the finances you want. You're probably blessed in a thousand ways you forget every now and again, but you have every spiritual blessing in Christ because the blessings that Jesus came to bring us are in this life, but they transcend this life because they originated before the world began and they will finish in the world to come. They transcend our existence right now, physically at least. Let me try these few for you. Forgiven. Little mumble. Redeemed. Justified. Reconciled. Born again. Adopted full of the Spirit, free, comforted, shame and disgrace, gone, chosen, loved, wanted, righteous, delighted in the weak now strong oaks of righteousness, beautiful in God's sight, rejoicing even in mourning and awaiting an extraordinary inheritance. And that's just the start. Are you blessed? Does life feel good and easy all the time? No. Are you blessed? Do you have every physical blessing? No. Do you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ? Yes, you do. And Christians will fall into a terrible hole when they equate how life feels with how life is. The blessings of God's reign are the entire color palette. But sometimes, though we know of those blessings, it's as if they're in black and white. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, we're just coming to a close here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the blessings of the kingdom in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. I think Paul means, may the black and white become full color in your hearts and minds. May the Holy Spirit give you understanding of just how wide-ranging and far-reaching are the blessings, including those of Isaiah 61, that have come to you in Jesus. So I have one thing to say. Keep going to Jesus. And whenever you hear about the kingdom of God, keep going to Jesus. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray. Can't make this happen. I'd like to pray for some understanding. I would like to pray that I will understand a whole lot better. Because I often feel tired and a bit weary and wish I had this and wish I had that. And I need to speak to my soul and say, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Without denying that life can be very difficult.
So let's stand, can we please, if you're able? So for all of us, for all of us, I want to remind you of the insteads. Because you might be a very nice person, but you are covered in filth and shame and disgrace. Or you might feel right now, I feel like an utter mess. I'm trusting in Jesus and life is so difficult. I want to speak these insteads over us. I want to dare you to believe them, that they could be true even of you because God declares it and Jesus has won it. Bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I'm not suggesting you should look in the mirror when you get home and think, man, I'm beautiful. <laughs> no, that's not what we're saying. That's not what he's saying here. That where you were lost, godless, sinning, as a crown of beauty. Because you have been made new in Jesus such that because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, He can look at you and say, yep, as beautiful as my son, because He's clothed with my son. The oil of joy instead of mourning. That's a difficult one. Please don't hear any flippancy because some of you are mourning. And if you're not mourning now, one day you will be. The oil of joy instead of mourning. How do you have joy when you're mourning? Only by knowing that every spiritual blessing in Christ is mine. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I wonder if there's anybody this morning who is just despairing of their finances, of their health, of this, of that, of whatever. Jesus can bring a garment and clothe you in praise. Yet in this I will praise God. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. It's all about inheritance. Destined for nothing. Destined for no good. And He hasn't just given you a portion, He's given you a double portion. The portion of the first and honoured Son. Jesus' portion. He's given to you. Anybody who's got their chin down, help it get up. There is dignity among the people of God. Not arrogance, but dignity. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. I wonder if there's anybody here who has been and felt or been told they are a disgrace to their family, in their workplace, whatever it is. No longer are you in Christ a disgrace. You are His pleasure. You are His delight. You are accepted and loved and wanted and redeemed, never to be forsaken. All in Jesus. We're going to sing a song that's just about Jesus. All about Him. Because the blessings of the kingdom come because of what He's done.
At the end, it might be that some folk would really like some prayer about some stuff that is going on at the minute. So I feel a disgrace, or I feel in shame, or I feel this, or I feel that. You might want some specific prayer, but here's our application. Jesus is enough.